Why is the name of Jesus a swear word? Why is its name used as an expletive? I think we as Christians know that instinctively it's kind of difficult to drop the name of Jesus into a conversation. We can talk about church and God and even prayer, but have you ever noticed that some people just get very awkward when you start talking about Jesus? For some, they'll just start backing off away from you. Now, why is that? What is it about Jesus that causes such a reaction? Well, over the last few weeks, we've been looking uh, examining Mark's record of Jesus on trial. Uh, last week, we saw um, Jesus before the Jewish leaders you look back at verse 55, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Three times Mark records in the account of his trial that they struggled to get evidence that kind of corroborated itself. Uh, there were people making all sorts of claims, but none of them made sense. And three times his kind of innocence was, uh, was proved. And so what was it that so, was so offensive that caused the Jewish leader to rip his clothes and say Jesus was worthy of death? It wasn't simply that he affirmed that he was God's appointed king over the high priests and over the nation, but that he also claimed to be equal with God and the world's returning judge. Are you the Messiah, uh, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now that's the biting point. Uh, that's the claim that demands a response. Is Jesus who he confessed to be? This is the matter that causes offense and challenge. He is saying that he is more than just a moral teacher. He is more than just a miracle worker. He's more than just one of the prophets of God. There is no doubt here he is claiming to be God, to be co-equal with God. It's a claim to, of his right to rule over our lives, that he deserves our recognition, our obedience, our worship, our whole lives. Now, either Jesus is a, someone with a mental health issue with delusions of grandeur, or he's an evil man, or he is, a, or he is who he claims to be, that he is God come in human flesh. And clearly, if Jesus is who he claims to be, then that's a matter not merely of minor historic importance to a few odd people interested in the first century. Jesus demands a response from each one of us. What is our response to Jesus Christ? It's a question for everyone listening today, whether you've been a Christian for many years or whether you are investigating what Christianity is, is all about. My first point this morning is to see from Mark's Gospel that all the world is in rejection of Jesus as God's king. We've briefly recorded, uh, recalled the verdict of the Jewish religious leaders. Despite the threefold reference that witnessed to his blameless life, the sentence is death. The leaders of Israel rejected his claim to be the Messiah. They rejected his claim to be co-equal with God. And in their, in their estimation, he deserved death. And now Mark turns to Jesus on trial before the Gentiles in Mark chapter 15. The Jewish leaders knew as, this, as subject to the Roman occupying forces that they couldn't carry out this sentence of death on their own authority. Only Rome could carry out the death 
sentence and that meant that they had to convince Pilate, the Roman governor, that Jesus deserved the death sentence. And so the trial of Jesus moves on to the second stage. Jesus was delivered over to Pilate at the start of the workday. If you look at verses 2 to 15, we see his trial before the Gentiles. Mark records the briefest summary of what took place. And from verse 2, it's clear that the chief priest presented the case in much more politically threatening tones. Just notice Pilate's question. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. Now, why, why does Jesus give such an enigmatic answer? And I think the answer that makes sense to me is that Jesus recognized that what Pilate understood behind this idea of the king of the Jews would be very different to the sort of king that Jesus had come to be. Pilate's meaning probably related to something more like, are you one of those leaders who are trying to make an insurrection against my authority. And if that was the case, then that would be, well, really serious for crowd control at that time. It was Passover time. Jerusalem was full of hundreds of thousands of extra Jewish people who all hated to be under the brutal occupation of Rome. There were many zealots out there in the public who plotted their way to kick the Romans out. Uh, there was, after all, Barabbas in prison for a recent attempt to whip a popular revolt against Rome that caused death and mayhem. And here, curiously, were the Jewish leaders offering up another insurrectionist. And I think that is why Jesus gives such an enigmatic response. Uh, he doesn't accept all that Pilate might have wrongly assumed by the question. But nevertheless, when understood in the light of the Old Testament, he was and is the king of the Jews. And so he answered, you have said so. Then the Jewish leaders start firing their accusations against Jesus before Pilate. And while Mark doesn't record what they said, uh, Luke gives us some insight. And it says in Luke, and they began to accuse him, saying, We have found that this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. We well, can imagine that that would stir up Pilate's concern. But Pilate was amazed when Jesus refused to defend himself against all these allegations. I'm sure that this was not how other prisoners behaved when they were potentially facing a death sentence. I'm sure normally people would be desperately fighting for their own lives. But here before him was one who did not open his mouth. It was amazing to Pilate. And of course, it reminds us of Isaiah 53, 7 that we considered last week, the righteous suffering servant who uh, was like a, a silent before uh, his accusers. Pilate, though, considers he's not doesn't deserve the death sentence. And Mark records three attempts of Pilate trying to free an innocent man. An unexpected opportunity comes with the gathered crowd asking for him to fulfill a prisoner release program at the special Jewish festival. And so Pilate offers a choice to the crowd trying to go over the heads of the chief priests uh, to either release Jesus or Barabbas. Pilate sensed the chief priests were using him and I guess he assumed that the crowd would choose Jesus an innocent man over a murderer but incredibly the crowd who the religious authorities had feared would be loyal to Jesus proved very fickle and malleable the crowd were whipped up to ask for Barabbas Pilate attempts two further times to free Jesus with a 
continued appeal to the crowds. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Found blameless before the Jewish authorities. Innocent of evil before Pilate. And yet, verse 15, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. What is going on here? Well, there's lots of different motivations at play, but I think Mark wants to make a theological point. All the world is in rejection of Jesus as God's king. The Jewish leaders, the crowd, the Gentile leaders take someone who's lived a blameless life and crucify him. The claims of Jesus to be Lord are rejected. And this reveals the truth about our hearts before God. We all reject God's loving rule over our lives. We all have rebellious hearts. We don't want God to tell us how we should live our lives. And we don't want to accept Jesus as the king that we should subject ourselves and live for. And this is our response when pushed to submit. It is to reject and crucify. Uh, that is why his name is used as a swear word, I want to suggest. That's why he's reduced to an expletive. That's why people are offended when his name is used in a public civic forum. This is why people start backing off when his name is mentioned reverently by Christians, because they sense there's something about this person that has a claim on them, and this is a way to put some distance. Our natural response is to reject God because we want to be in charge. And we can do that in a very religious way, as the Jewish authorities do, or they do, can do this in a very secular way, as Pilate did, expediently just making his job easier. And I wonder, do you recognize this dynamic at work in your own heart today? Because please notice that in all this account of rejection, Mark wants to see God is still at work. And he shows that secondly, uh, as he reveals God's plan to save rebel sinners. There are two ways that Mark shows us this. Firstly, the word handed over, it's used three times. Verse one, the chief priest handed him over to Pilate. Verse 10, the chief priests had handed him up. Verse 15, Pilate handed him to be crucified. The use of that word reminds us of the threefold prediction of Jesus, that these events must take place, that this was all part of God's sovereign plan. Look back at the third one in chapter 10 and verse 33. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered. Same word as the original, in the original, as handed over to the chief priests and teachers of the Lord. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. These terrible events, the mockery, the spitting, the flogging, the crucifixion are all part of God's plan. As Jesus goes on to say in chapter 10, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this purpose of Jesus giving his life in the, in, in the place to redeem and ransom sinners is shown in a very concrete way in chapter 15. There is Barabbas in prison. He's awaiting his death sentence to be carried out. Does he deserve it? Well, 
yeah, under Roman law. Yes, he's a rebel. He's an insurrectionist. He's a murderer. He is a guilty sinner deserving of death. Now, can you imagine Barabbas in the cell that day? He knows it's his last day. He shudders to hear the footsteps of the guards, which can only mean one thing. It's soon going to be carried out, the sentence of death. No appeals, no doubts. No one had been able to rescue him. That was it. It was all over for Barabbas. And the cell door opens, and to his great shock and amazement, he hears the news, you are free to go home. What? You've been pardoned of your offences. You're no longer under death penalty. And surely he would ask, well, well, why? Why am I being freed? And the answer would be, you have been granted clemency and forgiveness because another man called Jesus will be crucified in your place. And that is the picture of what the death of Jesus accomplishes, all in accordance with God's plan of salvation. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Or think about Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We've all rebelled against God. We are deserving of God's punishment. Yet God in his sovereign grace has entered into the world in Jesus. He endured our hatred and rejection and swapped places with sinners on the cross so that we would receive forgiveness and pardon. And so what is our response to Jesus? What is your response to Jesus today? There's a number of different responses in this chapter, aren't there? I want to have you come to a place where you've identified yourself with Jesus Christ. Have you come to see in this rejected king your substitute, your saviour? You know that you're a rebel sinner before God. You know that you deserve judgment. And yet you've come to repent of your sin and ask God to forgive you because you are trusting Jesus as the one who swapped places with you on the cross so that you would be saved from hell to heaven. Well, my Christian friend, have you, that's how we've identified with Jesus, isn't it? That's the reason. Uh, but we need to see that he was rejected by religious and secular people. And the truth is that we might well be rejected as well. Just as he was delivered over to hostile authorities and, and delivered over to death, Jesus warned us as his disciples to expect similar treatment. Back in chapter 13, verses 9 to 12, notice that handed over phrase again. You must be on your guard, verse 9. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings and as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Mark's first readers were most probably Christians living in Rome, facing the persecution of Emperor Nero. History records that Nero blamed Christians for the fires of Rome, which more than likely he started himself. And Christians faced the most unjust trials and, and capital punishments. And so Mark writes this gospel with a pastoral care and concern to help Christians face horrific trials. Their Lord and Master had experienced the same treatment from a hostile God-rejecting world, and he had faithfully endured it all as our saviour for our salvation so that we could be right with God and brought into God's 
everlasting kingdom. The Apostle Paul makes a similar appeal to his ministry apprentice Timothy, who was tempted to back down in the face of opposition within the church at Ephesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he tells him, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's one response, to identify with Jesus. Uh, or there's another response, and that's to stand with Pilate. The Gospel account portrays Pilate in a much more flattering light uh, than the historical record. But having said that, he's still portrayed as a very pragmatic man, supposedly in power, but basically ruled by his fear of others and his fear of losing control and authority. As verse 15 says, wanting to satisfy the crowd was the reason that he released Barabbas to them. He wanted to satisfy the crowd. I think we have all felt the pull to be people pleasers. Some people spend their lives going along with the crowd. I've known people who have seemed to really understand the gospel, seem greatly affected by the, the news of the cross of the Lord Jesus, his death in their place, and yet have never committed themselves to Jesus, never committed their lives to him because of their fear of other people's reactions and rejection. Because they desire instead to get the approval of their workmates or their families or friends rather than grab hold of the promises of the gospel. And so how will we be remembered? See, the Bible says that the ultimate judgment of history will be about how we responded to Jesus. How is Pilate remembered? Well, to most people, he's remembered in the words of the Apostles' Creed, which says this, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. It was Pilate who took the innocent Jesus and ordered that he should be scourged and delivered him up to be crucified. This is how Pilate's known, suffered under Pontius Pilate. This is what makes him famous, his injustice and cruelty. What a terrible day it'll be of judgment for Pilate as he stands before Jesus Christ, whose bodies will still mark the crucifixion that he ordered in order to satisfy the crowds, just to please the crowds. So what is our verdict on Jesus? It'll be worth it to stand for him now, to witness to the righteous suffering servant who died in the place of sinners in order to bring us to God. It will be worth it. We sing the song, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need, his power is displayed. The night has been won and I can overcome because of Christ in us. Let's be unashamed to stand for him in this generation.